I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. This is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. My guest today on the Things Above podcast to have a Things Above conversation with me is Casey Tigret. Casey is a frequent flyer on the Things Above podcast. He has been on here before. He is an author, pastor, spiritual director who lives in the Chicago area. He's the author of three books, as I recall, Becoming Curious and The Gift of Restlessness, which is the book that we're going to talk about today, as well as the host of the Restlessness is a Gift podcast. His passions are for helping lead people into beauty and grace, to, to lead lives of beauty and grace. And uh, he is, most importantly, he's my friend. <laughs> and uh, we have been friends for a long time. And I am so glad that he's my friend. In fact, we're such good friends that we first met when he shamelessly mocked me on Twitter in, I think, 2011. Yeah. Making fun of my sweater vest. Casey Tigert, welcome to the Things Above podcast. Hey, and all these years later, we're still, still, we're still together. Yeah, like who's I the guy that it. tweeted mocking my vest? And it's here we are. Sweater, you know what? Not everybody can pull off the sweater no. vest, Jim. And and you did it enough to where I actually tweeted about it. I mean, that's a lot of finger energy. That to is about the it tweet. is. It is. As I, always, it is a true gift to be with you and especially this <laughs> podcast and everything that it means to everybody who listens to it, including me. Oh, well, thank you. Uh thank you, thank you. Well, you've written another great book, my friend. You've done it again. This is the third time that you've done this. I'm sure there's many more to come. But so the question I ask for every, every author who's on the podcast is, so why did you write this book? This book is, it, I think it's important to talk about number one, and you know this and, and others who've written know this, that every book is like a collation of your life. And so you're really like stage of life, time of life you're in and what you're wrestling with is always part of it. And this book actually is the second version of what I had started to write about restlessness. I started a project on this in uh, 2019. And at the time, you know, I've always, restlessness has always been a part of my life. Uh, I feel like I inherited it, but I just always had this restless sense in me that I was working with. And so I decided I really wanted to write on it. So I did. And then it just never really went anywhere from a publishing standpoint or anything. So I, I put it in the drawer and just waited. And then, you know, 2020, 2021, some things happened. Um, yeah. universally some things happened. So the, we, we all experienced something, but some very particular things happened. So the me, um, and that really pushed me to go back and pull this book out again and, and to write, to rewrite some parts, most of it, like 95% of it based on some experience that had happened. So, and what came out of it was a much more personal book. Um, I was really just trying to make sense of 
your spiritual life, my own life with God, in light of this restlessness that I feel like I had noticed in myself for years, obviously, but I feel like I had seen it in every person that I have pastored, anyone who I've done spiritual direction for, been a director for. It's just this very common, very human, and since it's human, it's spiritual, since it's that common thing. And so I wanted to try and make sense of it. And like the other two books before, to try and give people permission to engage something as helpful that is usually seen as an enemy. Uh, restlessness, a lot of times, is thrown back to Augustine, and my heart, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you, which I love that quote, but th- there's a, it's not like it's a finality. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and then we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like our life with God just brings us to new kinds of restlessness. Uh, that we get to explore. And so that's what I wanted to give people permission to enter into those restless spaces and to have a, have a bit of a guide uh, Mm. on what to do and a very reflective guide on how you enter into those and and what it might look like. Well, you certainly achieved that. And, you know, thinking about your previous books, as I recall, where you're dealing with memory and then becoming curious, where you're dealing with curiosity, these are natural human experiences and but I think your your gift is is being able to write about them in a very personal way, but in a way in which we can sort of see this in light of the the larger narrative of God and the gospel and grace and um, and putting all that together. And and I, I I agree with what you said about Augustine. I mean, I think that quote, "Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you." Augustine was really talking about his own journey, like that mm-hmm. he he had tried to find what he was looking for to quote you two, you know, searching what he was looking for in every other way, but God. Yeah. And finally, when he surrendered to God, he found, he found that. And, but that doesn't take away, as you're saying that, that life, even after you've already found God still has times of restlessness and we still mm-hmm. experience that. And I also agree that it's, I think it's, wow, it's your most personal book too, of, of all three. Yeah, it was, it was, there were some challenges with that. Um, the first two books really were, were so much more of an analysis. And I actually, before this book came out, went on a little, I was kind of stuck <laughs> with the second version. And, uh, I went and did a seminar, a writing seminar. And the person who was leading it, I, he said, you keep talking about this book and you keep motioning to your head, like you're trying to get it out of your head. He said, maybe that's the problem. Maybe this isn't in your head. Maybe this is someplace else. Like, can you mm. can you get it out of your heart? And it was that that really helped me move. I mean, we're always doing that. And that's one of those moments where you're like, physician, heal thyself. Like, how mm-hmm. many times am I telling people about that it's the life with God, this life of formation is not just what we're thinking, but how our thinking translates into our heart and how that motivates what we do. And so I was like, oh, of course, this book has been sitting in a very more emotional place and I haven't let it be what it is. And that was a real key to being able to write that. And then asking some permission for some stories. I mean, there are some very tender stories in there and um, the the use of them was hopefully to f- help other people find, find themselves in my story of restlessness uh, so that there could be some freedom and some permission for them. Yeah. Well, Thank you for doing that, and thank you for those uh, who gave you that permission, because the stories are quite powerful, mm-hmm. and the way you write about them um, is very real. I mean, I felt like 
in, in some of those stories, like I was right there with you experiencing mm -hmm. what you were writing about. Um, so you choose to use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a guide or framework. How did that come about? Uh, it's interesting. I Somebody else asked me that, and, and I'm not quite sure how it came about, but I know that I was doing... I was either doing some work with the Lord's Prayer or I was thinking about it. And I noticed, you know, what Jesus is teaching, the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. And it's a very simple, very um, minimalist kind of prayer. I mean, it covers a lot. It's a big umbrella, but th there's not a whole lot of specifics. And I thought about that and I thought, was there something behind these particular lines. And so as I started to look at them, what I noticed was behind each one, if you, if you imagine a question behind each stanza of the Lord's Prayer, what happens is you end up uncovering, what for me, what happened was I ended up just uncovering all the most, the most basic human questions. So a question about belonging, um, the beginning, our father, like where do we belong? Who do we belong to? Uh, do I have a purpose? Let your kingdom come. Do I have a, is there going to be enough? Give us today our daily bread. Can the world be mended? Forgive us as we forgive. And I started seeing these very basic questions that I felt in myself. And then I also saw in people that I was giving direction or pastoral care to. These were the things that kept them up at night. These were the things that gave them ulcers. These were the things that a lot of times motivated them to seek out a spiritual director or a pastor or a counselor. They were wrestling with, can these things actually happen? And usually needing to ask that question moved them into a very unsettled space mm -hmm. because they knew they couldn't unask it. Um, that's the wonderful thing about questions. Once you ask it, you open a door and you can't, you can't unopen that door. Um, the only way forward is to walk through it, but there's a, there's a bit of thinking that goes into that. And so the questions really started to sing when I thought, oh, what if these are the things that help us navigate? What if the Lord's Prayer and the questions behind it, what if these are the things that help us navigate times of restlessness and make sense of it so that we don't feel like we have to let our, our fight, flight, or flee response kick us out of it so that we can focus on things above, if you will. So we can focus on <laughs> the big picture um, yeah. because that's, that's what keeps us from avoiding and doing damaging things in times of restlessness. Well, it, it's brilliant to, to use that framework and to put the questions together with, with the petitions uh, within the Lord's Prayer. And it, and it reminded me again just how amazing the Lord's Prayer is. Yeah. And it is, it is a prayer that many of us say by rote. You know, we say it every Sunday in our church as a part of the communion liturgy. And in many ways, it's just our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But boy, I mean, it is, it's just brilliant. And so thank you for bringing out a new uh, dimension to it. It's like this incredible diamond and you see another facet of another dimension of, of the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. There's which just so done much in the book. space in it. Yeah, too. it's, yeah, it's so good. Okay, so here's, here's a, here's a quote. But before I say the quote from the book, I, I'm sure that a lot of our folks listening today are in a place of restlessness. Like they're in a place where issues with family, it, it, personal stuff, health stuff, it, whatever it is, um, we feel that. And, and I, I, I felt like this was such a pastoral uh, sentence that you have in the book. And I'm going to, so I'm going to read it. 
You're right. The, the crux of our problem with restlessness is that we think it's a sign of regression or spiritual immaturity. We don't see it as a gift. We believe that the outcome of spiritual formation, the process of becoming like Jesus in the skin we're in, is to be immune to restlessness. Um, unpack that one a little bit more because you're saying some really important stuff here. Yeah. Yeah, that's the permission-giving piece um, I feel about. I feel like the way that we are taught, and I don't, I'm not condemning this. And so one of the things beyond the book that I've been learning recently is how do we bless and leave pieces of our journey behind? So how do we bless the early stage spirituality that brought us to this point, but then also move beyond it to whatever comes next? And so a lot of early stage spirituality is about building boundaries. It's about giving us a sense of belonging. It's about giving us a sense of this is, these are our people. These are the things we believe. And that gives us some stability, but growth usually leads us to see that there are, that is not the only spaces we can belong to. And so one of the things about restlessness is when I had previously dealt with this, a lot of times it was seen as something very negative. And to be restless was actually to show that you're not as spiritually mature as you should be or that you think you are. But as I began to look at, if I looked at restlessness and defined it as the irritated, unsettled season where we're stuck in the present tense, that's how I define it in the book, where we can't go back to the way things were before and we have no idea what moving forward looks like. If that's the reality that we see in our own lives, then we're we're just meeting with so many people of faith that have gone before us. And so the Christian history is filled with restless people. <laughs> mm. And so I thought, well, either we're all really terrible or there is something to this that actually could be a gift and being able to go into those restless times and not see it as a failure. Because as soon as we see it as a failure, we do what Dallas, the Dallas uh, statement about sin management. We either go into that where we're like, well, it's not as bad as somebody else's, or let me just minimize this and, and push it away and fake it. We either do that, or, or we just go into an effort cycle where we're just trying harder not to be restlessness. We're right not to be restless. We're going to pray harder. We're going to do this harder or more. And instead, I I went to the I went to the story of Jesus in the wilderness. And that helped give me some grounding to say, this was a restless space for Jesus. And much like the rest of Jesus is teaching, what if this is a way that he created a way that he showed for people who are going through times where they cannot go back and they have no idea what forward looks like. What, what if he is showing us the way to remain in the middle of that and to let the spirit teach us? It's the teacher we want the least, but it's probably the one we need the most, um, these restless times. And so, so that's what I wanted to do was I wanted to give some permission to say, restlessness does not have to be an enemy and it doesn't have to be something that you avoid. It can be mm -hmm. something that actually you embrace and it might in fact be the way that God is going to move you from one, from one place to another, uh, mm -hmm. from one stage to another. I love what John O'Donohue in the Celtic tradition talks about with thresholds. 
the Celtic tradition talks a lot about the space in between the spaces. And it's usually wild and it's usually uh, lost and kind of difficult terrain. But from one place to another on the journey is filled with this in-between time. And I feel like that's what restlessness is for a lot of us. Mm. Those liminal spaces where yeah. there's a, yeah, some of that anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love so many quotes in the book, but you mentioned earlier that you, you're using these questions and you put the questions and the, the restlessness together. And this is what you, you write. Uh, restlessness leads us into fundamentally human questions. Questions about belonging, purpose, provision, healing, and protection. When we ask them boldly, they reveal a gift within the restlessness. The gift is a flinty, formidable spirituality that moves us into and through our restless seasons. I like that so much because what you're saying is, okay, restlessness as opposed to something that's really bad, like, oh, why is this happening to me? Uh, what's going on? What did I do wrong? But it leads us to these these kinds of questions. Maybe I, I need to wrestle with belonging and purpose and provision and healing and so forth. And then out of that, then we begin to say, oh, well, this was actually a gift for me. This was this was an opportunity for me. And, you know, one of the things I, I often try to think of, and this is a personal thing, Casey, but is when something's happening that I don't really like, I try to begin to think about how, well, this isn't just happening to me. It is happening for me. I mean, it is, it is an opportunity for me to see how God is going to be at work in this situation and flipping, you know, moving from why is this happening to me to, you know, what is this happening for me? Um, is, is kind of like that. Is it not? I mean, in, in some sense, and of course, you're doing this out of a lot of spiritual direction. So is that kind of where you saw the connection between those questions and the restlessness and maybe moving into that, that space? Yeah. Yeah. How, how you view it and how you frame it. Um, with Jesus in the wilderness, I looked at those temptations and one of the interesting things about it is Jesus's responses. And I didn't write this in the book. So this is like the B side. This is the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. But what I noticed about Jesus's responses to temptation was not only were they grounded in his knowledge of his personal knowledge of God the Father, but they, in general, they just were all about, they were keeping in, in focus the big picture. They weren't slipping into it to immediately addressing the present need right in front of him hunger, power, celebrity. You know, the wilderness is not about celebrity, fasting is not about overcoming hunger. It, it is kind of, but it's not going to feed you. And then the power idea of wilderness is where power less people go, not power full people. And so Jesus' responses to temptation were to keep it, keep his eyes on the big picture. And so I think to be able to say, this isn't happening for me, to me, but for me, you have to, there is a way of adjusting our lens to keep our eye on the big picture to know uh, God can care for us in the midst of this. And sometimes care is on the other side of this particularly restless situation. It's, it's kind of the life of John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come that you may have life and life to the full, mm -hmm. as well as later in John where Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know, so yeah. <laughs> it's life and life to the full and it's trouble and holding those two things in tension. And so as people say myself or, or people that I've, I've 
been a director to as they have walked into these restless seasons, my job is to to sit with them. And my job for myself is to remind myself of the big picture, which does not diminish the restlessness, but it it puts it in a little bit different context. It helps us to embrace it differently and say, I'm really using those questions. I am really concerned with having enough energy. Like for me, I'll be candid. The last two years has been, there's been big questions about energy and do I have enough physical, mental, and emotional energy to go through this time? Because I can't go back to March 13th, 2019. Mm -hmm. I can't go back. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I just know right now what I'm wondering is the restlessness in me is to say, how do I fix this? But the better question is, is there enough? Am I cared for? Can I be content? And how do I do that? So that's being able to see the challenges as, yes, this is not something that I want. <laughs> nobody nobody chooses it. It's not like, yay, restlessness. But when I'm in it, can I ask those questions? Can I let this restless space teach me something? And then move on from there to, to whatever comes next. Mm, that's good. I, I love the section on on belonging. And, you know, you're raising that question, um, where do I belong? Um, but you have this quote, I want you to kind of help me understand this, and, and I'm going to ask you to maybe give an, an example, if you can, of what this looks like. But you write, this is what spiritual transformation asks of anyone who accepts the life of belonging. And then that's colon, and then here's your part. You say, to become one who attaches, detaches, and reattaches and to do so in deep trust of the divine. So part of this transformation you're saying is you, you become a person who attaches, detaches, and reattaches. What does that look like? What would be an example of that to help, to help us grasp what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. I, that was, that was, I'm so glad you asked that. Way to go. Um, <laughs> that was probably one of my more favorite parts of the book to write uh, because it's in a section where we're talking about belonging. And studying attachment theory um, and how that how that shapes us uh, when we're younger. So children make attachments to their parents, and that helps them stabilize for the rest of their life. And as I thought about belonging, you know, I think there's a belonging that never changes. We always belong to the divine. We belong to God. Uh, we are created very good. God never goes back on that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are called beloved. Um, that's something that's always true. But there are these, that's like uppercase B belonging. But lowercase B belonging is all of the different ways we connect to things throughout our life that are not eternal, but that change. And so uh, I was talking about, I was using this illustration for a college chapel, and I, I had them put a bed on the platform, like a fully made bed, which was so much fun. Um, <laughs> And I talked about how, you know, the frame never goes away. The frame and the mattress and the box springs. What changes is what you make, how you make the bed. So the sheet, the pillows, the blanket. And those are all symbols of our attachment. And so to illustrate that attachment, detachment, and reattachment process, you know, when I was a kid, I had an image of God. I, the church I grew up in was, was pretty fundamentalist, pretty fire and brimstone. Now, they gave me so many beautiful gifts 
So this is where I'm at these days with this bless it and leave it thing. There are so many things that they gave me that were such gifts to my faith that got me to a point that now I can leave them behind, but I don't have to look at the whole thing as a, as a doomed project. But there was a whole lot of uh, imagery in preaching and teaching that led me to believe that God was extremely angry constantly and judgmental. And as a teenager, pretty much anything I was thinking or thinking about doing or doing was, was inciting wrath. And so I carried that image of God and I, and I actually belonged to it in a way. Uh, I was connected to it until I started to see some different pictures of God, whether it's from friends of mine or life experiences, or in college, I was exposed to people like Henry Nouwen, who started to, to talk about an image of God that was very different. And so I had to, I detached from that original picture of God that I held. Well, that was fine intellectually, but there was this whole group of people who, who helped raise me in the faith. And now there was a disconnection from them as well. And that was a really painful thing. And so it required a bit of, uh, you know, the transformation piece of that was my heart being changed about, I love these people, but I can't stay there. And so moving into a, the God of the prodigal and the imagery there, that image of God, and then attaching to that and saying, okay, if God is no longer the scary shaming God, and I can detach from that and feel the pain of losing the community or the, you know, I'd shape so many of my behaviors around that. Like I better, uh, I better read my Bible this morning just in case, you know, if Jesus comes back and I'm not reading my Bible, that sort of thing. <laughs> but what does it look like now to reattach to God in this different way? And it's over the years, it's just taught me that all of our, all of our images of God are metaphors. They are, they're rooted in, in, good ex in wisdom and experience, but they're all just the telescope. They're not the stars. And so being able to experience transformation by moving from one image of God to another, sometimes that happens, you know, I find this happening in, in people who get married. Uh, my wife and I do some premarital counseling and I watch this whole process happen when two people disconnect from their birth families and they make a new family they detach from their original families, at least their previous relationship. And there's this period of pain where they fight, like, how, how can you not come here for Thanksgiving? We always do Thanksgiving. And, and so there's this, all this stuff that happens. And then the reattachment is this new and beautiful and vibrant family. Mm -hmm. And so there's a spiritual transformation that happens there. There's a grace for the people we are leaving or the, or the way of connecting with God that we used to have. There is a a pain that comes with that, but then there's also this new life that comes when we reattach to a new relationship or a new way of being. And, and so that's, that's that image for me. Um, we get to belong to new things and the space in between that detachment place is where we're usually experiencing restlessness. Um, I had a dear friend who was a person of faith for a very long time, and he one day just decided he couldn't read scripture the same way that he had. And so I, I don't know. I, I think if he had asked me, I probably would have guided him in a different direction, but he decided that he was just going to bring that up at his his Bible study one night, and uh, they filleted him. I mean, it was just, he had this really visceral, people had a visceral response to the way that he was talking about this. And uh, he went into this this period of restlessness, exploring, can I, am I even still a follower of Jesus? Am I allowed to 
seeing things the way that I do now. And so there is that, that's where that transformation comes in. Hmm. Well, that's, that's a, yeah, you gave several examples. Thank you for that. Cause yeah, you can see it happening when you get contextualized with those kinds of examples. So in your, in your case, you grew up with a narrative of sort of the, the angry judge God, and then you had to detach from that and reattach to the good and beautiful God that Jesus revealed. Yeah. Which would be a really good book title or subtitle. A good, yeah, good and beautiful God. That Jesus, yeah, should, I'm going to write it should, down. I feel like you're being called to work on that. You, I feel you, like right now it, we're experiencing Is this a prophetic word, brother? It okay. is. All right. Is, yeah, I'm going to get that on should, it. That might do well. Okay. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> but you know, see, what you're really talking about is that there are stories that we're living into and, um, these stories tell us about where we belong and what is real, what is, you know, all we think in terms of um, in narrative, right? And I, I love that you, you tell the story of, uh, of being in Australia. I, I think this with our friend, was it with John? You, you yeah. Were, yeah, you're, yeah. Um, but you, you talk about meeting these people, Daryl and Maggie, and um, I'm going to quote, because I, I love how you d- described when you went and spent this evening with them and, and how they just... And even though you were super tired, you said, I know that feeling when you're being in Australia, it takes forever to adjust. It's just a huge, massive thing. But you were, your, your spirit was quickened and awakened when you were with these people in their space. But you write this, um, perhaps you know people who live in that alternative story. They seem to be caught up in a vastly different plot than everyone else. Their goals and priorities are attending to a higher love and a far braver outcome. These people enter restlessness amid so much distraction and so many contradictory narratives. They find their purpose in loving and being loved when so many other purposes jockey for attention and energy. I just love that. They, you, you, they were living an alternative story and you, you connected with that. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. There are those, they were, it's hard. It's really hard to, it's kind of hard to describe, but I think I think if if you thought if you're listening or or you personally Jim if you if you think about that time when you were in the presence of someone who never once said this is what you should do but just you spending time with them just being in their presence just watching them be themselves and you know you get in the car to go home and you're like I've got to change some stuff in my life hmm. like that that kind of influence that's not that's not taught and it's not demanded, but it's just you, you see, we talk, you talk about this and I'm, I'm so grateful for you talking about working at the level of vision. And sometimes that means telling what the vision is. And then sometimes it means just embodying it. And they just incarnated this way of being in the midst of tragedy and turmoil and crisis and struggle. And yet there was so much grace like it felt like we were swimming in it. If grace were like a like a liquid, <laughs> we were just swimming in it, and not in like a Pollyanna kind of way, not in like a you know fairies and unicorns kind of way, but in a really gritty, ground level human kind of way. That once you saw it, you you couldn't walk away, and you couldn't walk away different. And so I've held that picture of that of that moment in my mind so many times in the conversations we had and the food we shared and the, the Taizé 
worship that we did for, on plastic lawn chairs in their in their little chapel, and I, I just I hold that very tightly when I'm re- when I need to be reminded that there are ways of entering into the irritated, unsettled parts of life that do not involve going off on Twitter or yelling at someone or stewing or anything like that. But there's a life-giving way to be honest about pain, to be honest about the things that unsettle us, but also to do so with just an abundance of grace. And and it was the presence. I mean, it was the presence of Jesus. I, I talk in the book about how Daryl greets me with, you know, opens the door and it's just like, he just looked at me and I didn't know what to expect because, you know, you know, jet lag, but 21 hours of flying, you, you still, you carry that for a few days. And he opened the door and just said, Casey Tigret, Christ is risen. And I'm like, yes, he is. Like, if I didn't believe it before, I do now because you're, you're just beaming with this. And so that's, uh, yeah, that story is just, it's still, I mean, I'm telling you this now and it feels like I'm standing, I'm standing on the threshold of their front door, mm. just hearing all of this again. Yeah. It's, it's what it is. You know, in a recent podcast, I shared the story of, uh, of when Trevor Hudson had Dallas down with him in South Africa and he, um, he, in the middle of the night, it was past midnight and he hears this sound in the living room. He thinks they're being robbed and he gets up and he walks into the living room. There's Dallas on his knees praying to Abba, you know, just, just talking to God like his friend, but, you know, but on his knees, like reverent and, and, and Trevor was like so moved by that, that he, he says it whetted his own appetite. In the same sense, Dallas wasn't saying, hey, you should be doing this too. You know, he just, he was living another story, as you put it, an alternative story. And for Trevor, that sparked this, this thing in him that, um, made him say, I, I want that, you know, like that. And that's what you're saying with Daryl and Maggie. He went, I want that. I, I want it. I want this, this kind of higher love, this, this kind of way of being in a different space. I mean, that's one of the things I hope this book does is if anything, if it could lead a person who reads it and is changed by some of the things that are said and they can model that for somebody else. That's, mm. that's all I need to know. And it could just be that one person. I mean, my publisher doesn't probably doesn't want to hear that, but if it's just that one person, if it can just change one person, I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but if there, if there can be one person who models how you engage with restlessness, not as an enemy, but as a gift, I, I just feel like that would be, that would be worth the blood and sweat equity that are on those pages. <laughs> yeah. Well, brother, you've done it. It, it. it did that for me in reading it. it. It made me appreciate restlessness, not be afraid of it, to say, no, this is a part of it. Like, this is a part of the journey. It's not a sign of lack of maturity. It's not a sign of sin necessarily. I mean, there is that side, but, but uh, we can be really walking faithfully in this journey and still, this is a part of it. And I love how you cover forgiveness and the challenges to forgive that are so real. And you even talk about aging, you know, that even as we're getting older, uh, which I, I resonate with because I'm, I'm pretty active playing tennis now in some USTA leagues. And, uh, and I, I, I play these younger guys and I'm like, you, well, you're going to get old too, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I like how you write aging can feel like a cruel trick. Uh, a turning up of the fader knob of wisdom, just as the physical and mental life force within us is turned down. <laughs> that's pretty good, right? Like I got the wisdom, I got, there's things I've gained, 
but yet the body's just going, well, we don't do that anymore. Like we don't, yeah. you're not going to run down that shot like yeah. you were 25, but, um, but you, you deal with such real life stuff. And I, I, that's what I loved about it. It was, it was enjoyable just to go, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's light and then you go deep and the book just, it moves in so many great places. And, um, you know, and I do want to say this, I was, I was pleased when I got to the end in the acknowledgements, you write, thanks to James Brian Smith and the crew at the Apprentice Institute yes. for asking about the book and encouraged me to write more. We, we at the Apprentice Institute, me and the team here, we definitely are team Tigret. We are, we are all for the work that you've done, Casey, and will continue to do. And I love working with you and, um, Man, hadn't having you on the podcast. I think one of one of your episodes you were on is one of our highest downloaded. So I, I shouldn't yeah. say that for your the sake of your soul. That might be you know pride inducing. But you know what? I, I it's all my mom. I told her I was, she just listened to it over and she put it on a loop and mom just, left just it on went for after it. Hours. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So thanks, mom. <laughs> well, brother, you are a blessing and blessings to you, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Likewise, my pleasure. Good to be with you. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things About Podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be things above.